You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday. It's not Friday. It's Monday, May 9th, 2022. This is episode number 275. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about a billboard promoting medical cannabis for military veterans, a jury finds Jonathan Wall guilty of trafficking, what getting rid of the cultivation tax would mean for California, New Jersey police chiefs want cops banned from using weed, Georgia's war on Delta 8, and many other frosty nuggets, so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might hit the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? So anybody looking at the headline at the top of Clubhouse, just know it's the second story in there. It's not about the San Diego Padres, but it's coming out of uh, the timesofsandiego.com. Billboards promote uh, medical cannabis for military vets. One of the issues the State of Cannabis News Hour supported and covered extensively is access to quality medicine for veterans who've made sacrifices on various levels for our country, but in many areas of the U.S., even places where decriminalized and legalized, finding actual product or even about um, an area's programming has uh, remained a challenge given local marketing and advertising regulations. This has proven to be even more of a disservice to the vets who just want to get the good weed that they were promised. Here in California, AB45 opened up safe access for qualified vets through large product drops at participating retail operations. Uh, One of the most vocal proponents for access along the way has been Sacramento-based Weed for Warriors. Uh, With their latest marketing efforts, hopefully individuals seeking access around veteran-saturated greater San Diego area will have a much easier time getting 
getting to what they need. The nonprofit advocacy group purchased advertising for one month uh, on two billboards located near San Diego area military installations. One near Camp Pendleton in Oceanside displays the words cannabis dispensaries with an up arrow and equal sign, uh, as well as opioid deaths uh, with the down arrow. Uh, Another along Miramar Road in San Diego near Marine Corps Air Station Miramar says restricting access to cannabis equals increased opioid addictions and suicides. Per the article, the group said the billboards underscore the plight of veterans struggling to access life-saving medical cannabis. Weed for Warriors, um, who you also uh, may have heard several times on our show, uh, CEO Sean Kiernan said, California and the nation's veterans are dying at horrific rates from opioid addiction and suicide. A lack of local access to safe, legal medical cannabis in San Diego threatens the livelihood of veterans um, who depend on this medication. Local control has severely disrupted access to a product that veterans rely on. Uh, Despite serving their country overseas, the state's legal cannabis prohibition demonstrates veterans are being left behind. Kiernan told uh, Times of San Diego the cost of two billboards was $30,000 a month, paid for by supporter donations. The group chose San Diego as their first targeted uh, four-billboard initiative due to the city having the highest density for military veterans in the state. Growing up an army brat with uh, much of my childhood being overseas in military bases uh, with the rest spent in rural Virginia where we aren't, uh, where there aren't many vocational choices past high school for kids of color or without rich families, almost all of my friends and family that didn't end up choosing a side in the drug game ended up in the military. Graduating from high school in the year 2000 meant the majority of them were sent over to the Middle East for combat duty almost immediately. Many who've returned have mental or physical issues our government hasn't prioritized fixing through much more than opioids. Cannabis has shown promise in helping vets and billboards like this near military installations will save lives, period. I hope Weed for Warriors doesn't get too much negative pushback from the prohibitionists, and I hope to see more programs like this across the U.S. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad on the street. For the State of Cannabis News Hour, love to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this one. I know. I, I love this billboard. I love this concept. And to put it in San Diego, where we have such a high veteran as well as retired law enforcement uh, population, I think is probably one of the best places to place these types of advertorial ads to bring more awareness to the cause. Especially yeah, the fact that it's on a billboard, too. You know, I mean, it's we've had such a challenge with advertising. So I think that's right. great also. And I think like San Diego um, as well, being such a conservative, it's a military town, right? It's a military beach city. It's very conservative. And they've been really, really slow to roll out uh, cannabis uh, legislation, uh, notoriously slower than the rest of the state of California. Uh, But the fact that they are so heavy in the veteran community, it has been a little bit smoother process, I guess, uh, with the arguments against it. And um, I know we've uh, argued um, if veterans is the the, the smoother transition for the rest of the uh, country rather than social equity this might help uh show as a um as a model for other cities in the in the u.s or other states even as well and thank you rico for this this story because it goes well beyond ptsd Um, a lot of our veterans especially those who served in the gulf war or vietnam have come back with amazing inflammatory diseases due to the chemicals that they were exposed to unwittingly by themselves or our government. And, you know, cannabis can help with these conditions to decrease the inflammation. So it goes well beyond that. And most veterans are on multiple drugs that have destroyed their kidneys. So, you know, cannabis can be helpful to them on so many levels. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a shame how we are holding it back from them. 
What do we think yeah. about the price of the billboards? $30,000, is that a lot or is that that's, a reasonable that's, amount for advertising? 15000 a month each is, is kind of high, though. No, it's not. See? No, it's not. not. Not when you quantify the amount of people because that's how, that's how billboards are based on is based off the amount of traffic flow that people will see this billboard ad. Um, I know near near where I live, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard on La Cienega has the most expensive billboards in the country that can go for all, as much as $50,000 a month. I thought San Diego, is a, it's a little high for San Diego because I remember uh, helping with advertising with, with some companies uh, about like five, six years ago, and they were around like 10,000 here in, in heavily populated areas, not in LA, but in the outskirts of LA. That, that was just exactly. my first Out, outskirts and it's probably those little bullshit small baby billboards that be like at gas stations and shit not like stuff that's prominent above the above the roadway yeah they were prominent there were, there were big ones uh, in east la um and then on the way uh long beach east la and uh, near uh orange county but um fifteen thousand, it ain't nothing to joke about so um they are putting their money um up down there and they said that they're being paid for by donations. So big shout out to them. And I hope um, other people can do the same. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. Coming up next, the ivory to my ebony. The mink coat wearing, private jet hopping, Emerald Cup judging, industry's longest continuously running retailer. Who knows Booth when he sees it, when he smells it, and he will throw it out the window. Jason Beck, what do you have for us this morning? Oh, yeah. Rico, you witnessed that throwing Boof out the fucking window. That's right. And today my story comes out of Maryland, where after a speedy deliberation, a jury finds Jonathan Wall guilty of weed trafficking conspiracy. After a five-day trial, a jury on Friday found Maryland native Jonathan Wall guilty of partaking in a years-long coast-to-coast cannabis trafficking scheme. Wall's trial, which kicked off on Monday with protests and a blaring billboard truck outside the federal courthouse in downtown Baltimore, um, which was provided by Freedom Grow, shout out to them, culminated Friday with closing arguments less than two hours of jury deliberations and a guilty verdict. Wall faces a minimum of 10 years to life in prison. His sentencing has not yet been scheduled, and he remains detained in a maximum security facility in Baltimore. Relying on testimony from informants, because it's always a snitch when people go down, so just know that. Wall was indicted alongside 10 others. Federal prosecutors painted a portrait of the 27-year-old as a mastermind of a transnational drug trafficking conspiracy that moved more than a thousand kilograms, which is basically, you know, 2000 pounds over 2,200 pounds of cannabis from California to Maryland in 2016 to 2019 in court filings. Federal prosecutors wrote while engaged in the scheme, knowing all of this was illegal and earned hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process. But his family attorney and advocates have depicted his case as one of federal overreach and uneven legal treatment of cannabis in a community or in a country where 18 states plus Washington, D.C. and counting have legalized it for adult use. Wall's attorney, uh, Jason Flores Williams, unsuccessfully tried to have the case tossed multiple times due to dis- desperate and obligatory enforcement of federal drug laws, which I knew was never going to work as legal defense. Meanwhile, Wall was detained in at least five different detention centers while being transported back to Maryland, a move his family described as a diesel therapy. Punishment before being detained in Baltimore Supermax Chesapeake Detention Center Jail for the last two years. 
The case drew national scrutiny, including from the New York Times, which on Friday reported on the verdict in a piece that highlighted the decline in federal prosecutions of cannabis trafficking. Over the last decade, the Department of Justice, seeking the 10-year mandatory minimum sentence for Wall, has shaken advocates while, while who, who decried the move as em, emblematic of un, the unjust ongoing federal criminalization of cannabis. Wall's mother, Mitzi Wall, broke down in tears as the verdict was announced on Friday. I don't have the right words, she told the outlaw report after the trial. The, that context played little role in this case, however. Under orders from the U.S. District Judge Stephanie Gallagher, days before the trial began, Gallagher granted a DOJ motion to bar any talk of legalization policies at the trial because, according to prosecutors, such evidence and argument of that sort is not relevant given cannabis ongoing federal illegality. Now, I will say this is that in with these federal trials, that is a, a, a big a, a step forward because they but previously they never allowed you to even use the words medical marijuana in a sentence uh, in federal court. The court also imposed stricter than usual measures over the five days in court, specifically banning phones from the courtroom and any digital devices, including laptops from the courthouse itself. From, uh, from the first day in court, advocates and Wall's family said they were surprised by the strict rules that dominated the trial. I don't know why they were surprised because that's how courtrooms typically operate. And from courthouse rules down to the questions used to the jurors, this is stacking the deck, said Wall's father, Jonathan Wall Sr. Well, I'll tell you what, it definitely is stacking the deck. And that's one of the reasons that the federal government has a 90, uh, 98% conviction rate in trials. It's not just because of people taking plea bargains, but because people can't fight and really represent themselves with actual uh, physical arguments. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Some of these cops should get jobs writing screenplays for Hollywood. I love that they, how they make this guy a mastermind. It's you know it's so funny when when I uh, was arrested, they said that I had a sophisticated growing operation. Jason would call it boof, but uh, yeah, it gets that's drawn. that's the prosecutors that that's the prosecutors that write that, not the actual cops. Okay. I think they call that uh, truthful hyperbole. Alternative facts. I think that um, 10 years minimum, they got to get rid of that shit, man. That's that's mandatory minimums, Rico. I know. I know. We got to change that shit like yesterday. 100%. And and I hope that that this case can be looked at uh, on a national level and scrutinized by whoever is uh, running for president next, whether it's Joe Biden or or whoever. Um, Hopefully not 45 again. Well, if it gets scrutinized scrutinized and he gets a lesser sentence for for whatever reason, uh, everyone's just going to say, oh, he only got that because he was white. No, they won't. They definitely will. I think at this point, like they're just trying to get all of the uh, quote unquote criminals like him. They're trying to get them out. And um, I think it should be a topic that is heavily debated going into the next election. We need to make sure that uh, all these companies are getting billions upon billions of dollars uh, for legal uh, can, uh, legal transport of cannabis. Like It's just not fair to have people sit, uh, rotting behind bars as, as, as people are just getting rich off of something that they did or did not do. And in, in this case, like the criminal mastermind and all that shit, like, fuck that, man. He needs to be, he needs to get an opportunity to work on the legal side or, or he should not be locked up for fucking 10 years of your life for this. Didn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't President Biden campaign on uh, no more cannabis convictions on the federal level? 
We've been covering that since uh, he got elected, Jason. Just stating the obvious, Rico. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up to the stage next, she's an original breeder with a golden bong. From California to Michigan and now back to Cali. From the D to the OC, she brought it back, back to Cali. Cali, y'all, CEO of the Original Breeders League and mother of two with the ability to spawn more due, her, due to her breeding abilities. It's Priscilla Egginsilla. What do you have this morning for us, Priscilla? Uh, you forgot to mention just being super fertile, I guess. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll adjust that. <laughs> like, like like the Nile. <laughs> um, so uh, my article is Grow Lamp Loving Water Sucking Cannabis Plants Are Not So Green by Bloomberg. Uh, POTS energy water use is under scrutiny. Uh, cannabis's reputation about uh, being as green as they come, it, but not only is it as an oxygen producing and carbon dioxide uh, absorbing plant, its alternative medicine bona fides and hippie ethos are often associated with the environmental movement. Cannabis plants suck up around twice as much water as corn, soybeans, wheat, wine, and, um, and wine grapes, according to a 2021 study in the Journal of Cannabis Research. Growing indoors requires extensive lighting and climate control, making it particularly energy intensive. Morningstar estimates that cannabis cultivation will account for 1% of total U.S. electricity demand by 2030. Cannabis's federal illegality means there hasn't been much research into this environmental footprint uh, for cannabis, uh, and much of the industry's environmental challenge really stems from the plant itself. Not only does a sun-loving plant require more light than many crops, it's also extremely sensitive to humidity in the last weeks of flowering. Uh, if During the last weeks of flowering, it can foster mold and requires energy-intensive dehumidification systems. Can since cannabis cannot be shipped across um, across state lines and state borders, it can't be imported to cold climates like most agricultural products. So this makes indoor cultivation a necessity in many, many places. So this article goes into a happy medium, and that happy medium is a shift into greenhouse growing. Many entrepreneurs in cannabis uh, don't stop to consider the economic and environmental benefits of greenhouses in their race to set up cultivation sites. The savings, though, can be huge. Greenhouses or hybrid growing sites require 134 kilowatt hours per square foot versus the 262 for indoor cultivation on average. This is according to a 2018 report from New Frontier Data. So the number of the week is 86%. This is a projected rise in water use by, by the cannabis industry uh, by 2025, again, according to a report by New Frontier Data. Uh, so this is a really interesting article. Um, it, it's kind of, uh, it kind of, to me, when I read it, it, it was a, a little bit of a jab at the cannabis industry. But also, you know, it really does... Um, position us as a as as stakeholders um, of the cannabis industry to kind of put more emphasis on uh, what our environmental impact is. I think the biggest one is our packaging uh, that needs to that needs to be addressed. And also, you know, just using the metric system, it's very wasteful and it, it also requires a lot of um, uh, 
environmental impact because of the tagging and, and how they do all of the batches and so on and so forth. Uh, so this is Priscilla reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Uh, Priscilla, I'm glad that you covered this story because to me, this is just a story to detract people from the real issue. The real issue at hand is almonds and almond trees and the fact that it takes 25 gallons of water just to produce one almond. And so for all you environmentalists out there that love Starbucks and love sipping your almond, roca, whatever the fucks, just remember that the next time you buy a, a carton of almond milk or even go to Starbucks and order that shit for your drink. Yes, but <clears throat> Jason, we can do better, and I know you're really we afraid of we outdoor don't, we cannabis. We do not need to do better. The almond industry needs to get their shit together and quit wasting as much water as they do. The only yes, reason we have almond do. milk is because they produce so many almonds that they needed to put it into another product. Okay, so there's a gross overpopulation of that, which means there's a gross waste of water due to that. Go ahead, Dr. Felicia. I, I will I, I'll acknowledge what Jason is saying about the almond industry. However, just like people didn't think the mile could be run under four minutes, just like no one thought an NBA team could come back being three down, you know, LeBron showed otherwise, we, the, the plant thrives in the sun uh, outside. It, it really does. And we have to figure out, I challenge the entrepreneurs to figure out a way to keep the terpene odor from leaving the growth site without driving up power costs. Some, someone has to figure that out, and I, and I think it's possible. I think we also have to be careful when we read statistics like they're shown in this article that says that, I, I think I heard you right, um, that it said that cannabis takes twice as much water as corn, it needs more light than other crops. I just don't know if either one of these things are actually true. And so when you keep throwing down statistics that aren't exactly factual, that make cannabis look extra bad, um, all of this is sort of by design, and it's it's all effectively propaganda. Call it what it is, Chris. It's fake news. Fake news. Yeah, definitely. We always have to look more into what these statistics, how they were derived, what sample they pulled from. I mean, there's so many ways to kind of manipulate the news. Um, I completely agree it, with it that. It sounds like this was uh, sponsored also by the greenhouse industry or maybe some greenhouse grower. I mean, they, you know, if they acknowledge that dehumidifiers are, are needed at the end of the growth cycle, well, what's greenhouse going to do about that? Well, you know, a big part of the article was quotes from uh, uh, Scott's Miracle Grow uh, <laughs> the CEO of, of that company, and uh, I think they he, he's also the CEO of a new um, LED lighting company. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Lush lighting. That's actually just what I was going to bring up, is the LED lighting is using so much less electricity. With a lot of the green energy that we're moving into, with solar panels and whatnot, we're starting to use a lot less of the natural energy or starting to use the natural energy that we have access to. And also, if you look into um, Remo, the urban grower up in Canada, he has a great YouTube video that shows how he's able to collect his air conditioner condensation, and he actually doesn't have to utilize any outside water sources during his entire indoor growth cycle just because of the the, the collection of his air, um, air conditioner condensation. So there are definitely ways that we can get around this and make cannabis growing a much more green um, system. It already is green, Nick. That's a great point, Can I chime in? Yes, ma'am. You got the last word, Jaja. I just want to say I've never in my life heard of one Rasta in Jamaica that's growing outdoors ever complain of not having enough cannabis because not enough sun or not enough water. So 
that's that comment on those statistics is boof, as Jason would say. Uh, fake news. That's right, Zaza. It's fake news. Fake news. You are fake news. More outdoor. More outdoor for the fireplace because that's where it belongs. Sun grown is the best. Sun grown as God intended. Support Amen. <laughs> if God, if God intended for it only to be sun grown, He wouldn't have given us given us the thought to think of indoor cultivation as the superior cultivation. It went topic. indoors because oh of prohibition, Jason. Oh please, Jason! You're just afraid. No, it of the, did not. I'm not afraid. I'm you're, about you're quality over quantity. You're about you're about fake news. Quality over quantity. <laughs> let's just do a blind. Smoke. Let's do a blind. Let's do an SOC hour blind smoke. Uh, I'm totally Jason and I'm totally down. Yeah. I, I will, I will do identify it. all the booth outdoor in all of its boofiness. <laughs> yeah, I'll we'll be see. There. Let's keep smoking I'll the news. Be there. Let's do it. <laughs> So with a smoother delivery than DHL and a price point lower than USPS, our next correspondents got the chops to break down high-end cannabis news into more palatable serving sizes, getting access to the people because everybody got to eat. Also a communications strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report, he's Clark Kent in the streets and Superman on a spreadsheet. Christopher Smith, what's the news today, my man? Superman on a spreadsheet, all right. Good morning, Rico. Thank you uh, for that intro. Good morning, Susan and Jason, with all your fake news about uh, outdoor. Uh, my story today is from Marijuana Moment. Um, a senators urge Biden Attorney General to respect Indian tribes' marijuana policies. A, co- a coalition of nine U.S. senators on Monday sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, hoping to wake him up after his two-year nap, uh, urging Garland to direct federal prosecutors not not to interfere with marijuana legalization policies enacted by Native American tribes. The letter, which was led by Senator Martin Heinrich, a Democrat of New Mexico, requests that the Justice Department respect the inherent sovereignty of tribal governments and cease the enforcement of the Controlled Substances Act on tribal land as it pertains to the growth, possession, and use of cannabis for medicinal, agricultural, and recreational purposes, where those tribes have legalized this activity for its own members and those acting in compliance with tribal law. Uh, tribal law, uh, tribal governments that have chosen to legalize cannabis have determined what is best for their members and residents on their land and how best to prioritize their law enforcement resources, it says. The Department of Justice should respect these sovereign decisions and reallocate their investigative and prosecutorial resources accordingly. Uh, besides Heinrich, the letter was signed by Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Ray, uh, Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico, Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, and Jackie Rosen of Nevada, uh, Tina Smith of Minnesota, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Ron Wyden also of Oregon, and uh, uh, Cory Booker of New Jersey. The letter notes th- that there were previous... Uh, Obama-era DOJ guidance on prosecutorial discretion for tribal governments that opted to legalize cannabis, but that was rescinded by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions in 2018, along with a separate memo urging prosecutors not to go after states that established regulated cannabis markets. That memo was called the Wilkinson Memo. Uh, It rightfully recognized the inherent sovereignty of tribal governments to regulate their own affairs. Uh, By allowing and following the Wilkinson memo, uh, quote, beyond respecting tribal sovereignty, the memo allowed the Department of Justice to prioritize and focus its resources in ways that address violent crime, including the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls epidemic, the the senator's letter says. 
an example of federal overreach was included in the letter. Last year, a federal agency raided a small home cannabis grow, uh, a garden, it says, of a medical cannabis patient living on territory of the Pueblo of Picuris in Mex- New Mexico. Uh, I remain convinced that whoever approved that raid has some old school white supremacist axe to grind, seeing as how it was launched from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is under the Department of Interior, which we know is now run by a Native American woman named Deb Halland. I suspect that raid was done to embarrass her. But to that end, uh, in a related story, uh, New Mexico's governor has signed two intergovernmental agreements with the Pueblo of, Poha- of Poaca and the Pueblo of Picuris to support the tribe's participation in the state's legal cannabis industry. The agreements were signed March 25th by the governor, uh, and they will support the Pueblos taking part in recreational cannabis industry, driving economic development, and setting guidelines for the safe production and sale of cannabis while preventing federal enforcement on their tribal lands. And you'll recall that New Mexico just launched its adult use market, just to give you a sense of the scope of the opportunity. There were In the first weekend, there were $5.2 million in cannabis sales, and it's expected to generate $300 million annually. And I'm done speaking. I wanted to just reiterate the fact that law enforcement funds could be better used trying to see what's going on with the epidemic of killed, uh, murdering indigenous women. And this has been a long-standing epidemic, I might add. Thank you, Dr. Felicia. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known for knowing a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. What do you have this morning for us, Liz? Thank you, Jason, and greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My story comes from Vermont Digger by Fred Tice. The headline reads, after health department reversal, THC limit in cannabis concentrates sparks legislative debate. If you're a senator or a legal cannabis operator in Vermont, then David Englander is most likely not your favorite person at the moment. Englander is the senior policy and legal advisor of the Vermont Department of Health. And in two separate contradictory statements, he threw a curveball into the legislative debate over the THC potency caps this week. So you should know that Vermont uh, is one of the only states with a THC potency cap. Connecticut is another. They have a 30% cap on flour and 60% in solid concentrates. This cap has been a really hot topic in the legislature, as you can imagine. Legislature. Last week, the House was debating four bills that pertain to setting up the state's recreational market, which begins to open uh, sales on in October. So last week, the Vermont Department of Health sudden reversal and stance came from the department's senior policy and legal advisor, David Englander. He wrote twice to Representative Ann Pugh, who's the chair of the House Committee on Human Services. In his first letter, the department supported the removing the caps because, quote, the primary reason is likely significant market for high THC concentrates, and it's more dangerous for people to buy the unregulated versions. 
And they said instead of uh, banning THC substances, they were going to create a regulated market. And in addition, a complete ban on concentrates above 60% requires manufacturers to keep products below that limit at all times. And they said doing so will require the addition of additives to dilute the product. And they said that those uh, potential additives, there you can remember that there was recent illnesses and death that appeared to be associated with the ingestion of additives. But then the next day, he wrote another letter and he said, upon further consideration with the lens of prevention and safety as the cornerstone, the department does not concur with the lifting of the THC limit and maintains the foundational component of the original legislation remain in place, saying, quote, the risk to users of high levels of THC are significant and we should not risk contributing to the known risks of consumers' physical and mental health. And he said his communication of yesterday was incomplete and all of his fault, he said. The blame was totally his. So the representatives and the legislature here were really frustrated with that sudden reversal, and there was no further comment that came from the department. James Pepper, who is the chair of the Cannabis Control Board, said this is, quote, a gift to the illicit market. He said there's a very broad consensus among regulators that caps are a bad idea. And Pepper says, quote, a black market will fill this gap. They're doing so using very dangerous products. Representative John Gannon proposed the amendments to this bill, which is H. Bill uh, 548, and the changes were approved. He brought them up last minute. It was approved by a voice approval, and it left in place these potency caps. So despite frustration from senators like uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chair, Democratic Senator Dick Sears of Bennington, he said they held up the whole damn thing for a week and a half, and then they come up with this. He said there isn't much time to call for a conference committee. But despite that, they did move ahead. The Senate moved ahead with a bill um, to conference committee to with the House to reconcile their differences. And Sears did point out that Bennington County borders both New York and Massachusetts, which don't have THC caps. So saying basically that um, this bill that was brought up by Gannon was potentially, that's his area, Bennington is kind of basically, he said that somehow, quote, a group that le- opposed legalization from the beginning has taken over. He said, if we were to accept this, I want to see some investigation by the Cannabis Control Board on the impact of the black market and the out-of-state sales because Massachusetts does not have this cap. So I personally think these caps limit patients and consumers, and they're completely arbitrary. They're not based on science, any science that I can find. So to me, it makes no sense, and it severely limits the Vermont industry, uh, the Vermont patients, consumers, altogether. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm Liz Rogan, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. More confusion to the consumers, you know, these there's no science behind it. And then we get to have the 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 fun with labs uh, just adjusting THC levels so that things can pass and get on the shelves. It's dumb. Yeah, this is the, I I actually agree with Susan. This is stupid. It's not based off any uh quantifiable data as to the justification for limiting these types of products. And the reality is, is that all you're doing is enhancing the illicit market because people that want those products are still going to go and find them and buy them. I think their their time and money would be better served researching uh, high potency TAC versus banning it right now. Bans don't work. Only time a ban works is if it's a band aid. Just get some facts first and then make regulations later. It's ridiculous. Nic- Nicole, hey. 
Hi, greetings. Good morning, everyone. Um, Band-aids don't work on a gushing wound, Jason. This is ridiculous putting a cap on on your THC level. Um, Another reason that I left Georgia is because they only allow 5% THC in your cannabis oil only. Um, and, And it should be a decision that is made by the patient and the doctor, not legislators. There's an interesting part of this, you guys, that basically in reading deep into it. So if you have a liquid concentrate, it can be over 60%. But if a solid concentrate, it has to be 60% cap. Kind of interesting in there. I feel like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. The sudden reversal and like these people seem to be all over the place. Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, yeah. Strategist by day and Baker by night, this feisty redheaded conservative never backs down from a challenge from, by pot-loving libs across the aisle. Come to the stage next. It's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, Gretchen Mayflower Gailey. What you got for us this morning? Uh, good afternoon, Rico. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, good old Schumer is at it again. Uh, Schumer says he's discussed marijuana bill with six Republicans in speech at New York City. NYC legalization rally. Uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer joined other lawmakers, advocates, and celebrities in New York City on Saturday to speak at a marijuana rally as he works to finalize a bill to end federal cannabis prohibition. This marks the second year in a row that the leader participated in the NYC cannabis parade and rally. Also making an appearance was House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jared Nadler, whose bill to federally legalize marijuana passed the full chamber last month. Schumer stressed to rally attendees that he's working to win bipartisan support for the forthcoming bill he plans to introduce with uh, Wyden and Booker. He said, I have invited every U.S. senator, every Democrat, every Republican to come meet with us and tell us why they won't support the bill or whether they will. And I'm making good progress. I've already met with six Republicans so we can get 10. We can get the 60 votes we need on the floor of the Senate to pass legislation that is so important. Schumer, who said the goal is to legalize cannabis from one end of America to the other, may in fact need to win over the support of more than 10 Republicans, which itself is a tall order, as not as all 50 members of his Senate Democratic caucus support legalization at this point. Schumer said, this is mainstream. A majority of Americans believe we should legalize once and for all. And we are working to do that in the United States Senate. We are working hard to get that done. Nonetheless, he exuded confidence in reforms prospects at the rain-soaked New York City rally. No rain or anything else can dampen our enthusiasm to legalize marijuana. Nothing can stop us with all of you standing side by side. Schumer said soon after that he, Wyden, and Booker finished drafting the bill. We're going to then get all the Republicans on board, as many as we can, and fight until we get our 60 votes. The sooner we get this done, the better. Nadler, for his part, called the House's passage of his legalization bill last month a huge milestone, but noted that we have much more work to do before it comes law. Uh, good old Chuck. I love that he keeps trying to preach that this stuff's going to happen. If he does the math, he'll see he's uh, five votes short on his side of the aisle. Um, so the likelihood of him getting 15 Republicans on board for this, if he were to have a vote, which he won't do, um, is not going to happen. Um, I will now make a, a pledge to the people of the state of Canvas News Hour that I will no longer report on Booth Schumer stories of pretending to make progress when he doesn't hasn't done a damn thing. So most likely you will hear nothing out of my mouth about this bullshit until he actually files a bill. So maybe in August we'll hear something. This is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Gretchen, I think you should still cover this because it's it's a necessary necessary part of the news. It's bullshit. <laughs> 
It's the same bullshit over and over again. I'm talking to Republicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say that you put out some reaching out to, you know, Chief of Staff, hey, come talk to me, and no one shows up, doesn't count as talking to Republicans. Well, well, well um, Gretchen. He preaching that he thinks he has 50 votes on his side is also bullshit. Five Democrats on his side of the aisle have come out and said they are not voting for this. So I don't know what the fuck the man's talking about. This seems Couldn't like a also- huge amount of posturing. Couldn't it also mean that he, I mean, because it didn't say that he talked to Republican lawmakers about this. It says Republicans. So he could only just talk to five Republican lobbyists about this. Either way, he's full of shit. His new name should be Chuck Schumer, full of shit. Chuck, full of shit, Schumer? Yes. Well, I think you should. I agree with Jason. You still got to cover uh, the shit that Chuck Schumer's saying. He's too political, uh, too important of a political figure. But um, my we'll headlines see. will be Chuck Schumer, once again, full of shit. Back to you, Rico. That's going to be. Oh, that that would be that would be amazing, Gretchen. I'm totally in support <laughs> of that. Just make sure you continue to cover it. Just make sure you 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 keep that same energy for Donald Trump when he starts talking about <laughs> bullshit cannabis talk. Once he officially says that, once he, he, oh, he once he once he reaches the same, he's, he's going to say he's going to be pumping out even more are bullshit. You, are you saying that? Once to so break you, Jason Beck's heart, Trump is not coming back. He's not. Trump is coming back. You're out of your mind. He's Gretchen. Gretchen. Spill the tea, Gretchen. Spill the tea, Gretchen. I, I just, from what I hear, the man is not looking to run again. He'll, he'll definitely be out there pushing Republicans and pretending to run the party, but he is not going to run for president. He's definitely running the party. He's 55 and 0. He's what? He's 55 and 0 with his Republican primary nominations. Did you just I pull mean, that number out your ass? He, no, he, he pulled it out of his ass. I'm telling you, you're hearing it here first. It didn't he's work here in run. Georgia. Purdue is losing greatly to uh, Kemp, so it's not working in Georgia. But Gretchen, <laughs> even if, if even if by some miracle um, he could get 15, what, yeah. what what makes what makes him think that the Republicans wouldn't just vote on block like they have on everything else that they made promises about? Once we change the bill, they exactly. still vote no on it. Well, and I and I would think for him to even get to those 15 votes, he would have to make some major compromises that people aren't want to aren't going to want to see, like a major excise tax. They're going to drop social equity. They're going to have to drop a whole lot of stuff to get 15 Republicans on board, which Agreed, is Gretchen. pointless. He would have way too many concessions. His his woke base would totally fire against him, and it would leave the perfect opportunity for AOC to primary him. Chuck Schumer's base is not woke, but let's keep it moving, Jason. <laughs> Jason, let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, one visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. This, she's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis is medicine and if you play your cards right she will mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience coming next to the stage is dr felicia dawson what kind of medicine do you have for this morning doctor thank you so much jason for that introduction you know the matrix is actually one of my favorite movies so thank you for that introduction my headline comes from cannabis now georgia's war on delta 8 thc by chris roberts County sheriffs and district attorneys in at least three regions of Georgia are cracking down hard on selling Delta 8 THC, even though the laws are not on their side. Leigh Ann LeDuc picked up her kids from school on the afternoon of Friday, March 4, when she learned that police had paid her business a visit. She's a sales manager for The Shop, a vape supply and CBD store in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, 
Amongst other products, the store carries Delta 8 THC. Cannabis is still illegal in Georgia, and like other prohibition states, Delta 8 is very popular here. Delta 8 is not popular with law enforcement, however. In at least three jurisdictions in Georgia, local sheriff offices and district attorneys have launched an all-out assault on Delta 8 TAC, despite state and federal laws allowing the drug, advocates and attorneys told Cannabis Now. Once LaDuke returned to work, she was greeted by a letter from a detective at the local Catoosa County Sheriff's Office. The letter was signed by Sheriff Gary Sisk, and it informed her that representatives of the Sheriff's Office had, quote, purchased items from your store and had them tested, and they contain significant levels of Delta 9. It's your responsibility to know what you are selling and what it contains, especially when I'm telling you it is a violation of Georgia law. End of quote. LaDuke and Joe King, owner of the shop, went to the sheriff's office to sort things out. They had their certificates of authentication showing that their products were well within state's limits, which say that anything derived from hemp, cannabis with 0.3% Delta 9 TAC or less, is legal to sell. When they asked for proof and what was purchased that day, they were refused. When they offered COAs for the product, they were told it did not matter because they had already tested their products. The Katusa Sheriff's Office didn't return a call for comment to Cannabis Now. Peachtree Normal's Ryan Ralston also went on that 2022 is an election year and conservative sheriffs up for re-election such as CISC may be trying to find an issue where there is none. Several law enforcement officials state that Delta 8 is falling into the hands of children without proof. In the meantime, LaDuke and King have pulled all their Delta 8 products from the shelves to stave off a raid. However, that may not be sufficient to help them keep the doors open because customers are getting pulled over on their way in and out of the store, further impacting sales. Peachtree Normal's Rawson goes on to say that Delta 8 campaign may be politically, I'm sorry, politically motivated because all the areas in the crackdown have violent crime rates three to five percent higher than statewide rates, in addition to having an ever worsening opioid overdose crisis. The same week that LaDuke received her letter, a neighboring county recorded five fentanyl overdoses, she said. The article ends with LaDuke stating that yet, quote, we are the issue. Busting several prominent businesses wouldn't only make them look good, but fund them. I feel like we're all in a movie or a dream. Sounds more like a nightmare to me. While I am not a fan of unregulated Delta 8, if these stores got a restraining order until the matter is decided, it seems that the law enforcement should re re respect it. Instead of harassing customers, workers, and business owners, how about they redirect direct taxpayer money to pursuing fentanyl overdoses, something that's actually killing people? This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I just feel like this Delta 8 thing, Delta 9, is just so ridiculous. We're seeing it all over. There's so many challenges. Like children's, it's getting in the hands of children. All these stores that are Delta 8 are basically just selling cannabis. We all know that in Delta 9. It just seems completely unfair to me, even though nothing's fair. But if you're in the cannabis industry, you're trying to follow these rules. I personally think after attending a medical conference, Delta 8 should really fit in the pharmaceutical world better. It's got a lot more application there, and that way you can tell it's safe because it's made in a lab. And the Delta 9 plant, as it's being lab tested, should be available to patients and stores, and we won't have this problem. Delta 8 is boof, and anyone that consumes it is just just a sad, sad use for a consumer. If that's all they have, Jason. Yes. If you're in a prohibition prohibit, Let me tell you something. State, the illicit, the illicit market is everywhere. And if you have to go to purchase Delta 8 products, you're just, you're part of the problem. Chris, did you want to weigh in? What? <laughs> no. 
I was just going to say thank you, doctor, for sharing that article, especially the comments about, about uh, fentanyl. I think that's a, a big conversation that uh, we need to continue to have. Let's keep smoking the news. We're running out of time. Up next, he's the Michigan-rooted Long Beach-based CEO of Fruit Slabs and Cannabis and IP attorney, IP attorney with a beer game stronger than anything that the MCU can come up with recently. Up next, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us today, my man? Thanks for having me today. Uh, my headline comes from the OC Register. It's California can start to fix legal cannabis market by ditching the cultivation tax. This article was an opinion piece that basically promotes eliminating the cultivation tax here in California to make legal cannabis more competitive. It argues that no other agricultural good faces cultivation taxes similar to the ones imposed on cannabis, and that eliminating the tax would allow farmers and retailers to lower prices, increasing competition with the illicit market. They, they argued California has plenty of other taxes on cannabis, including general sales taxes and excise taxes, and that lowering prices could increase sales overall, which would increase overall tax revenue and replace any losses from the elimination of the cultivation tax. The author further argued that California's legal market is really only one-third of what it should be and posits that part of the reason is because our state legal cannabis is just too expensive. California taxes on cannabis can be as high as $90 per ounce or $1,441 per pound, which far exceeds other states. Taxes in other mature cannabis markets like Oregon are as much as $340 per pound, and in Colorado, they can be as much as $526 per pound. Oregonians spend 378% more per capita per year on legal cannabis, and Coloradoans spend 335% more per capita per year than Californians do. Eliminating the tax would really help growers, retailers, and consumers by impacting prices. Another thing that could also help lower prices, arguably, is increasing the number of retailers in the state of California. There were a handful of uh, industry players and uh, parties quoted in the article, but one of them was Sam Rodriguez, policy director of Good Farmers, Great Neighbors, a collective of Santa Barbara cannabis businesses, who noted, cannabis farmers throughout the state are experiencing the biggest challenges of their time. Many farmers are considering going fallow this year. For example, Busy Bee Organics, one of the first women-owned, sun-grown farmers in Santa Barbara County, has already declared she's not planting this year. That is not the only business that I have actually heard that from. So perhaps this movement of eliminating the cultivation tax can gain enough momentum and steam to make waves at the state level and find some relief for our small farmers. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. I just wonder what it's going to be like when we have federal legalization. Adding that layer of taxation, I just don't know how it's ever going to work. Well, yeah, the cultivation tax. I'll go ahead, Liz. Saying and being in Santa Barbara County and seeing this directly, I mean, it's killing our tax revenue because it's it's dropping. So it's like they need to do something, and it's because we have a huge amount of farms, and that's taken a lot. That's brought us so much revenue. Anyway, sorry, Jason, go ahead. 
I'm going to say that the, the cultivation tax has to go. Uh, uh, cannabis in California is the only agricultural commodity that is taxed at the cultivation point. Can you imagine how much your tomatoes or even your almonds would be or your almond milk would be if there was a cultivation ta- tax on all agricultural commodities? People would be going crazy. Well, if they keep these taxes, and like Susan said, with the you know proposed federal tax, I mean, they'll just drive the illicit market. I think there needs to be a cultivation tax on hemp. Let's keep smoking the news. Uh, sorry, everyone. She's a CMO with the award-winning tech platform Event High and co-host of the groundbreaking woman-focused Blunt Brunch event series. Taking us today, it's Adelia Carrillo. What do you have for us this morning? Good morning, everyone. So today's article is, Could New Jersey See Increase in Cannabis Tourism? Industry leaders say it has potential to be a $1 billion industry. This was written by the Bronx 12 News. Um, Although cannabis events like yoga, cannabis may be slow-growing in New Jersey, consumption lounges are looking like the next upcoming attraction. Cannabis industry insiders say cannabis tourism is a $1 billion, is a $1 billion industry outside of dispensaries. As the emerging industry continues to grow, the state could see retail stores and even more cannabis-inspired travelers from other states. Now, as many of you may have heard, on April 21st, legal recreational cannabis sales began in New Jersey. They served over 12,000 customers and grossed almost $2 million in sales. But many are saying there is so much more to the legal recreational market than just dispensaries, and they are really hoping to attract more tourism concepts. Now, New Jersey may not see recreational cannabis-inspired attractions for a while, but the state has already seen consumers cross state lines to legally buy recreational cannabis. Um, One quote by John Fanberg of the Brock Uh, Broch Elcher Cannabis Industry Practice stated, the law will permit dispensaries that have licensed to create a lounge off of that dispensary. That will create an opportunity for people to come from another place to utilize cannabis in a legal, safe environment. However, right now there are only nine communities out of more than 500 in New Jersey that have said yes to such lounges. Atlantic City was actually one of them. Now, industry leaders say cannabis tourism... I've already stated this, I'm going to reiterate it again, has the potential to be a billion-dollar industry in New Jersey um, as activities start to return to post uh, normal post-pandemic. And the community is actually ready. There was a, um, a survey, and it said the percentage supporting cannabis tourism grew to 55% in New Jersey's six southernmost counties, but conservative Ocean County was generally appro- opposed. Uh, statewide, 43% actually opposed the tourism industry marketing cannabis-related uh, attractions. That's not going to be immediate. We don't have that many dispensaries open now, so it'll, so it'll take some time for it to get really cooking there, Fanberg said, and it could take actually a couple of more years. So what it's like in New Jersey right now, the State Cannabis Regulatory Commission said it will issue license it said that it has issued licenses to seven medical cannabis dispensaries. Um, under the CRC guidelines, registered patients may purchase up to 3.3 uh, 3 ounces of medicinal cannabis or cannabis product. Uh, recreational users will be able to purchase up to one ounce in a single transaction wh- uh, when licensed dispensaries uh, opened, which they opened on April 21st. And the commission has also approved 102 conditional licenses for smaller cultivars and manufacturers, many of of which have diverse ownership. Uh, now, it could take up to a year for those operations to begin selling cannabis. And as laws around recreational cannabis continue to evolve, that could also shape how cannabis tourism looks in the garden state. Um, 
Now, one of the questions they did ask is, will these changes create a welcoming touristic opportunity? At the end of the day, only time will tell. Um, the legal recreation market in New Jersey is still new, and it's still months away from seeing the first retail stores and even farther away from seeing can, uh, tourism centered around cannabis. So with that being said, with recreational cannabis now legal in the state, do any of you think New Jersey will see an increase in cannabis tourism? This is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I know we are sure. Go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, what is what is New Jersey actually doing to to make people want to travel there? Like, there's there's no reciprocity. You just have adult use, and there's already adult use in surrounding states. Guess it'll be quicker to the uh, quicker to the launch than New York, but we are short on time. But we wanted to get back uh, to our last story, so let's keep it rocking. He's a fellow dope dad that traded in his gun and a badge for a blunt and a notepad, and our go-to guy for law enforcement stories from an insider's point of view. Now, security consultant at CC Security Solutions, coming to the stage next, Chris Eggers. What you got, man? Bring us home. Good morning, Rico. Thanks for the intro, Susan, Jason, everyone else. Uh, good morning. Happy Monday. Thanks for having me. My headline uh, comes out of New Jersey. Police chiefs want to ban cops uh, from using weed, according to this headline. Uh, the fight is intensifying over whether police officers in New Jersey should be allowed to use marijuana while they're off duty. The state allows it, but some lawmakers are introducing a series of new bills to forbid cops from using cannabis. Now, John Zabrowski is the president of the New Jersey State uh, Association of Chiefs of Police, which represents about 500 active police chiefs. And he says, we formally have requested that our state legislature carve out an exclusion for safety-sensitive employees, in particular law enforcement officers. It can be metabolized over 28 days, and that creates an awful lot of issues for us, he says. The lack of cannabis... Uh, lack of a cannabis version of a breathalyzer test to establish of a legal level of highness also creates issues for policing members of the public who might smoke and then drive. Zabrowski further says, certainly it's much more important when you're talking about somebody that obviously has the responsibilities of a police officer and is carrying a firearm. Now, the state attorney general issued general guidance last week uh, I'm sorry, the week before legal recreational sales began in New Jersey, reminding law enforcement executives that it is illegal to fire an officer for using marijuana in their free time. I know we're short on time, so I'm going to jump down to the end of the article where Jersey City Mayor Stephen Fulop says that he will ignore the current version of the state law and fire any cop who tests positive for weed. Mayors of uh, Kearney and also Weehawken have indicated that their municipalities will do the same, although not, neither of them were available to comment for this article. This is a follow-up to an article that I talked about, I think, last week, the week before. Uh, interested to hear what folks have to say. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Chris. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. That's the sound of the cherries and berries. <laughs> Let the cops smoke weed. Let them yes, smoke please. Weed. There'd probably be fewer police killers if they did. Agreed. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. Cherries and berries. I don't know if you can really say that. I don't know if you can really say that. How these people just think they can just take the law into their own hands all the time and just interpret it the way they want. Right. Right. You're supposed to enforce the law, not make it. It's the American way. It's the American way. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, that wraps up our Monday. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay on Clubhouse or find us a few hours later anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a good review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears 
news, when there's news in your city, county, state, or country, you take us deeper into the story, you add color, and sometimes you provide amazing sound bites. Let's do another one. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that's one.